Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your calling, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education and our faith, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and unfortunately, Kyle Pietrantonio is not able to be with us today for this program. And today we have a special program focusing on Lent and the liturgical seasons in Catholic schools. And my guests are Deacon Dana and Deborah Niermeyer. Now, Deacon Dana is a permanent deacon in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas and serves as the Archdiocesan Director of Evangelization in supporting the priests, parishes, and lay leaders of the Archdiocese by encouraging individual prayer, providing formation for missionary discipleship, and sharing best practices in proclaiming the gospel in our modern world. Deborah is no stranger to follow to lead. In fact, she and the president of St. James Academy, Andy Talicki, were, I think, our first guests, if not within the first two programs that we had. Deborah is the director of faith formation at St. James Academy in Lenexa, Kansas. She's been a part of St. James community since the very beginning. And of course, St. James is known nationally for its strength in providing academic excellence combined with a richness of spiritual and human formation. And uh, I am told with great authority that she was a part of the core that really has formed that uh, school to uh, be moving in such a strong direction. And she's also a founding director of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. So uh, Deborah, as I said, is a returning guest, and uh, we're delighted to have both Deacon Dana and Deborah with us. They are Uh, the parents of five children, four grandchildren with one more on the way in just a couple of weeks. And when they're not involved in ministry, uh, they like uh, swimming, snow skiing, outdoor adventures, those types of things. Deacon Dana and Deborah, welcome to Follow to Lead. Thank you. Happy to be back. We're so glad that uh, you were able to make time for this special, uh, special program. We always like to begin our program by letting our audience know a little bit more about those who are our guests. So could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your upbringing? Are are you both natives to the Kansas City area? Basically, yes. My family moved to Kansas City when I was about three and a half years old. So uh, yeah, all of my years uh, in memory have been in, in Kansas City. And I grew up as a member of the archdiocese and a uh, regular Sunday goer. I'm a public school, a product of a public school my whole life. I didn't enter in Catholic school until I helped start one. So I don't know what people were thinking hiring <laughs> me. I didn't have a lot of background there from a family that um, was deeply involved in the experience of Catholic community. 
None of that is true for me. I, uh, uh, I was born and raised in about a 30 mile square mile area, uh, Lee Summit and Olathe. I uh, was raised with a very strong evangelical fundamentalist background and raised to be a Protestant preacher. Ran into Monsignor Tom Tank in some of my travels and he waylaid all of that. Super amazing. I'm, I'm just um, so grateful to be connected to the treasures of the faith and to the rich Catholic community that exists here in Kansas City. Plus, with all the associations and regional and national work, it's a great honor and consolation to my soul. That's that's wonderful. I didn't realize that you and I shared that common heritage of both being converts to the church. I also know that the two of you are involved in an apostolate in the archdiocese that has really made a lot of great impact on young people across the years, and that is Prairie Star Ranch. Can you all tell me a little bit more about uh, the ranch, how it started, and and what's going on there? Uh, well, I would say that that same uh, Monsignor Tom Tank, we blame him for it all, but he really had a vision for a summer camp for young people that would be evangelical in nature, but that would also be tons of fun and uh, kids leading kids, young adults leading young people. And so we have been involved in this for, this will be our 25th summer. Is that right? Yeah. Our 25th summer with this. And, um, in two that we started with real simple means, uh, we rented a facility and people trusted us enough to leave their kids there for, for a few days. And it really, the Holy spirit took a hold of it and it grew greatly. And the diocese purchased Prairie star ranch, um, as a permanent home for camp Tekawitha and, we serve about 1,800 people throughout um, the summer. We have adult retreats and family camps and camps for kids of all ages. Really, I think the, the most beautiful part for us is getting to spend the summer with college kids serving other kids and to see the work that the Lord does in their hearts when they really lay their lives down all summer. And it's, it's a... Uh, it's not pretty. It is a lot of hard work in the heat and 17 hour days, uh, loving on kids, you know, and eating a lot of corn dogs. So, <laughs> but then, then throughout the, uh, the fall and the winter and the spring, the, the ranch hosts retreats and offers retreats of all kinds of, uh, nature. And, you know, there's 291 acres there and lots of really enriched devotional spaces. So yeah, love for people to come down and check it out either in the summer or during our retreat season. Yeah, I know when I was president of St. Michael High School, our retreats are there. It's a powerful place to go. The chapel has so many memories for so many kids over the years and the ways in which God really came and just met them there in such a powerful way. Deborah, you're there today. You're there for a retreat. 200 sophomores. We've been here overnight. That's why I look maybe a little, a little less bright-eyed than normal. Uh, but yeah, we're in the middle of our sophomore retreat and it, it has not disappointed. You know, the Holy Spirit showed up and uh, the kids were open and blessing me every moment. Well, the real reason we're on the program today is to kind of get ourselves set for the season that is upon us. And that is Lent. And uh, it also is an opportunity for us to kind of explore the ways in which liturgical seasons might be able to play a part in the formation of our students as disciples of Jesus. 
I'd like us to begin by just kind of looking at the liturgical season as a whole. Most of our audience are Catholic. Again, it isn't a bad idea to kind of just do a little bit of a rehearsal on that. And Deacon Dana, let's begin. Could we kind of look at what the liturgical calendar is like for the church? What does it do for us? You know, one of the things, Father, as a convert and a culinary nut, I uh, I cook a lot, especially in the winter, indoors, and I love to listen to music. And my favorite thing to cook to is Vivaldi's Four Seasons. And one day I was reading through an, an album cover to date myself, and it um, it talked about Father Vivaldi. And that he had written this, these movements based on the liturgical season. And I think the soul needs uh, movement and we need times to concentrate in certain things. And God and the church has provided these ordinary times, but times of Advent and Lent and Easter, you know, and in our, in our many feasts. But I think the human soul needs um, a diamondism that these uh, seasons uh, speak to. It is a movement beginning in Advent, basically the season of the already not yet, where we're going to anticipate celebrating the season of what has already happened in the coming of Christ, but the not yet that he's going to come again. And so there's always preparation and then there's execution. It's kind of a neat movement through the year that gives order and purpose. Lent, of course, is an interesting part of the liturgical calendar. The word means springtime, but you know, many times people think of Lent as kind of this dreary time of deprivation. We just give stuff up until Easter, and then we're back to normal again. What are some ways that the two of you have discovered that Lent is a meaningful time uh, in your own lives? I think that we, we live in Kansas, so we, we have the four seasons in a day a lot of times uh, with our weather. Right. And so we we are a people who who like the change of seasons. We can appreciate that. I mean, I think it's so important to look at ordinary time first to say, wow, there's a lot of green in our life. Right. A lot of ordinary because we, we live ordinary lives, but there is a sacredness to our ordinary. And I think a lot of times in our busy and our scheduled lives, we forget to just honor and appreciate and soak in the ordinary, but then to have these times away. I love what you said about the already, not yet. That's a great thing for me to think about related to Advent, but Lent this time, I think that happens in all of us in our spiritual lives and even our emotional lives and lives of our families, that there's these celebration times that are big and we look forward to, and we can reminisce on, but we all have these times that are barren we're seeking something and we've got to be still uh, to find it. So I really love the, the rhythm that the church gives us in the liturgical calendar. And I also think it's a great thing to help young people feast, right? To feast on who, uh, oh, this is your name day. You were named after this saint. Who is the saint? Let's celebrate this feast day. Let's have cake tonight after dinner. But then tomorrow we're going back to the ordinary. Like, let's look for ways to really celebrate. And, you know, I think mm -hmm. the world does that now. All these like National Hot Dog Day or <laughs> National yeah. Hug Your Dog Day. There's, you know, there's a lot of these things. And I think it's the world looking for a rhythm that really speaks to our soul. That's really human. 
So the, you know, they'll look at Lent, I think, yeah, to, to step away, but to also recognize the place where feast and silence kind of run into each other. I like you, Father, you know, praying in the liturgy of the hours, the, the Psalms of lament and the Psalms of triumph and rejoicing that um, as, as I've spent a lot of my life with the vulnerable and, and with young people, novices in the faith, a lot of them feel like they're not worthy because they don't feel on a spiritual high all the time or that God is present in their life in a way of joy. And they feel like if they're feeling depressed or down or anything like that, or reflective or questioning, that maybe maybe that's a sign of weakness and unworthiness. And I think the church always shows us that um, our humanness, uh, God created us good, and that to explore that humanness in all of its dimensions, the seasons really allow for that and celebrate it. And Debbie and I get really frustrated <clears throat> as we work with young people and where they feel like, the church isn't strong enough to be with them in their darkness, or it's not, God's not compassionate for us as we really, really fall into some deep wandering. But Jesus loves us with a magnanimity that's um, unquenchable, unquenchable and then, uh, you know, beyond our understanding. And I, I think the seasons give us a glimpse into that, and especially Lent. Now, when you're thinking of Lent, one of the things that I often think about is Paul in his epistles talks a lot about putting things on and taking things off as a part of our, our Christian life. So in terms of putting on and taking off, how do those fit into our Lenten discipline? What, why do we take things off? For example, why do we give up chocolate or sweets or other things? What, what's the purpose for something like that? Well, we live in Johnson County, Kansas, and uh, there's a big uh, an acronym about the joy or the, the uh, fear of missing out. And I think a lot of times we fill our lives full of such craziness because we don't want to miss out. I personally have JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. I love <laughs> to uh, be excluded from things so I can have, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I need, I need time for reflection and to be away. But I think that to know the heart of Jesus, to feel the rhythm of his breath. I loved your opening prayer. I believe you said it was related to hearing God's, hearing God, hearing his voice, uh, to listening. That's a very potent thing for all of us in formation to, to uh, ponder on is how do we instruct our students to listen to God? And what, what does that look like? And I think we need deep Deep modeling and deep instruction in that. There's a lot of opportunities to deny ourselves, right? I'm, I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to, these kinds of things, but to what end? So often I think we can miss the point. I think we do such a disservice to our own selves and the people around us when, you know, the question is, well, what are you giving up for Lent? Rather than, wow, God's given us this time <clears throat> to listen, to grow closer to him? What are you doing to get to know the Lord during these 40 days? And how are you letting him get to know you? I think some more focus on, on some of the deeper meanings in this are really helpful to all of us, young people included, but to myself as well. Father, it's a very young 
Protestant kid, I was, you know, given a Bible and I was actually expected to read it. And, and then people would ask me, people that I respect in my life, my family members and, and, and teachers would ask me what I thought about a certain verse. And I know a few times my parents would take me to a room and they, to my room and they would say, okay, it's time to do your prayers. And they would do prayers with me, but then they would tell me to continue to pray to God, to listen to him, to talk to him. Occasionally they'd ask me, they're like, how's your prayer life? Uh, how, you know, is God speaking to you? And what is he saying? And those kinds of things. And I think that's a very Catholic thing, but I don't think that we've trained folks to do that. And especially, you know, Jesus saying, you know, don't hinder the little ones that even as young children, we can really learn that intimacy with God is, is real. It's part of that normal season or the ordinary time. We should be able to do that. And uh, I think that that's a place where we could get better. Maybe we aren't really spending our time understanding the why behind the what. Why are we giving something up? Why are we putting something on that uh, we give something up? I love the way that uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva talks about minor mortifications. You know, I give something up in order that my body knows that it's not in charge that there's something more to life than just what my body wants. And that putting things on is maybe helping to right the ship so that I actually keep doing it more after Lent. What are some things that you do during Lent in order to increase it the rest of the year? Are there things like that that go on? Yeah, I was just on this retreat with these sophomores. I was with the girls and one of the girls, well, a number of the girls together asked the question, is it really possible to wait till you're married to have sex? Is it really possible? And then another girl said, and is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to ask that? And it sounds like I'm going in a different direction, but, but I think this there in a world of excess in a world of everything is um, right at our fingertips. We miss the gift that we have in denying ourselves to grow. And we talked about, yeah, there happened to be a whole lot of M&Ms and Oreos in the room during this conversation. And I said, can you not eat the Oreos? Do you have the ability to not eat the Oreos? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we do, but we get going in our day and we go to what's easy a lot because there's a lot of hard, there's a lot of struggle emotionally and socially. And so I think, especially with our young people to remind them, like, let's sit down and talk about what is it? Where's a place in your life you want to grow? Where's something, you know, do you want to grow in having more silence in your life? Have you found good in that? Do you want to grow in communicating better with God or listening to God? Do you want to grow in your relationship with your parents? Where are some places that you want to grow that we know are good and true and holy? And then let's look at what, what's something that maybe needs to be taken away that would help us achieve that. And Dana and I are, we're big on feasting. Like what is it maybe during Lent that you need to double down with? Yeah. You know, do you need to double down with time every day, just you and God? Do you need to double down with turning in your phone earlier in the night or turning your phone off earlier in the night to just be able to have time to look at yourself and not what the world is saying to you? Um, so I think there's this, this balance, right, of self-mortification. If we don't understand the why, 
then it, then it can get really skewed and off track and become something it wasn't meant to be. And so I, yeah, to continually talking with kids. So one of the things that we do at St. James is uh, we implemented an adore for 24 and we one 24 hour period, our chapel is filled with kids during adoration for 24 hours. And it's a denial of sleep for some of them, depending on the time that you're coming. It's a denial of maybe going out with your friends because it's a Friday night, or, or maybe it's a feasting on gazing upon God and allowing him to gaze on, upon you. I think it's in the framing that is so important. And sometimes we really miss that. A lot of uh, Catholics my age, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're not eating meat and I gave up chocolate and I'm going through the motions, but I cannot wait because I think it's legal on every Sunday. I can eat that chocolate and anything that I gave up rather than the understanding of this is about my good and the abundance that God really has for me on a, on a spiritual level that also will fulfill so many things emotionally and in my relationships. I just feel like the pace that the modern world lives at, most of us can't do that well. Most of us can't have an interiority that is reflective and to live at that pace. Now, a lot of people can live at that crazy pace and do... But I, I believe that that interiority gets squeezed out. And Father, you and I have to do a lot of funerals. And I find that to be a very Lenten practice every time, just to um, even the words of, of Ash Wednesday, you know, from dust you come to dust you shall return. And, and mm-hmm. to, to, to be there present, um, you know, at a graveside and to counsel people where they've lost a a dear loved one. And frequently we're very close with them anyway, as a parishioner and that mortality to be conscious of that, to live, you know, famous Tim McGraw song to live like you were dying, but to like, to really live uh, with this austerity, there's certain things that are really meaningful. And what Debbie's really taught me in my life, because I'm a uh, recovering pragmatist, is that relationships, relationships with Jesus, relationships with the saints, relationships with our loved ones and friends and colleagues is what God built us for. And so to squeeze out a lot of the logistical triumphs that we make and not live in a culture that is success and quantity to feel loved, there's a toxic equation, there's toxic water we live in. And to be able to step out of that or drain the tank for a while and really uh, refocus. There's a group called Glue that's out of uh, Boulder, Colorado, and they're working with the Barna Institute and working with hundreds of churches, thousands actually across the country and accumulating data and figuring out how the church can position themselves to really meet the needs of their communities. We're working very closely with them. And one of the things that they've identified that all of us know is that there's a great mental health crisis in our country. And they did specific research here in Kansas City over the summer. And Kansas City was actually in worse shape than many other cities in the country. Uh, I think it's because we really desire authenticity and we, we typically live a little slower than the rest of the world. But the whole meltdown with COVID and, and job security in our churches actually uh, literally being closed for a period of time, it really put a wound on people. So I just find that hearing, which I think something, again, that is mind blowing or sensing 
God and, and walking with God is what we're built for. And a lot of us, God's in the backseat. It's an interesting concept, especially when you think of Lent as a time to quiet down, to quiet ourselves. I remember back in my Anglican days, I called our parish to join me in a 40-day media fast where mm-hmm. we turned off the television, turned off the radio, turned off the music. The only thing was music and worship and just tried to get all of the exterior things quieted so that we could basically have a better chance to hear God. It was crazy how hard it was to get used to the silence. And it helped us, to, especially me, to recognize how I've decorated my time so intentionally with sound, with, with stuff going on, and not to have that quiet time. It was, it was a powerful, powerful year. That's beautiful. I think silence is, is so very important. And our kids, our world, we were thrown into a Lent of sorts, right? A pandemic. Right. Uh, where we were separated for one from one another and not able to go to mass and having to really find new ways to connect with God and to connect with one another. So I think our young people have a different sense of Lent, maybe going going into it this time. Dana, you had some thoughts on that. We're made in the Imago Day. We're made in the image of God. And in so many of our kids for many seasons here have not seen their teachers smile because their teacher's been masked and that we, we've only seen half of a person's face. You know, I don't think we have to teach these kids what austerity is because they have, they have been immersed in it. But I think the church needs to show them that in austerity, God is fully present and that in sometimes even, even more clearly. There's a thing that really bothers me, Father. It says that the two definitions I know of insanity are to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. And then the other thing in our culture that's considered to be insane is if you hear God talking to you, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you hear him talking to you. Great. We know a place for you. But our church believes and teaches that God does speak and God can be perceived and discerned. In so many ways, I think we're not equipping our young people to uh, to do that in, in beautiful and meaningful ways. And I recently uh, was taught in the ex- uh, Ignatian Examine by Father Gallagher in a, in a deacon formation. And I was just blown away that the first three rules of Ignatius explain so much of what I had been doing in drug and alcohol counseling with young people throughout my life and not understanding those dynamics. And I know Dr. Petrock Willie of um, Steubenville, he teaches that a catechist is to teach people the way that God works. We're supposed to show people the way that God works. And uh, I think our young people are just literally sometimes dying to understand that. Are there ways in which in Catholic schools during this Lenten season, we can maybe have a little bit more portfolio to help kids to know that particular part of their lives? I think we have to be explicit. We have to speak about it. We have to say, I'm going to witness to you about God speaking, God's voice in my life. So I can give you a template for what that looks like. So you know how to look for it. What, what do you do, Debbie? Is your either God week or one of those weeks? Does that fall in Lent frequently? I thought it was in the spring. 
Yeah. March 25th is generally with when that happens. So it depends on when Easter falls, right? We have specific weeks in our school where we expect our teachers to give a witness. And we usually give them a prompt twice a year. And really what that's cultivated is a comfortability of the adults in the building to speak to where God's moving in their life. Uh, But we have these specific times so that we can all practice. And it's great. The kids really look forward to it. And they learn about their teachers as person and not just as, um, you know, a flat character up front telling them about math. And not just in our words, because I think sometimes as Catholics, it's easy for us to say, oh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to be an example through my witness of what I do and not what I say. Right. But our kids are dying to hear uh, what we have to say about faith. I'm sorry, Dana. Teachers well, teachers will do that. And that's the, that's incredible because that sets the witness, but then at draw nears and, and all school masses and various other times, whatever Max just did uh, with his whole community, students get drawn into that same culture and rhythm, right, to be able to give their witness. Right. And so during those particular weeks, our senior students are all expected to give a witness. But then throughout every month, there's a particular opportunity for different grade levels and different students to give witness. Dana, it's just our son, Maximilian, was asked to give a witness. And, you know, as his mom, I was like, well, do you want to practice with me? You want me to hear it? He said, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. I'll be fine. I have other people I can run it by, you know, and my mama's heart's breaking. Like, I just want to sneak in and and hear it. And I work in his school. So I did sneak in and hear it. It was a reminder to me, am I doing this in my own home? Am I witnessing at my dinner table or in the car when I've got them cornered? Do they know what I'm doing for Lent to grow in my relationship with God. Do they see me? I get up early. I'm getting old. It's easy for me to get up early. I do do my morning prayer. Well, my teenagers aren't up. They don't see me do my morning prayer. So I've got to talk about it. I've got to say things like, you know what, when I was praying this morning, this came up. And a lot of times they look at me like, what do you mean you were praying this morning? Like, oh yeah, you don't even see that. So I I think just for us to step back and, and to remember how important it is to share with one another. I, w- I was in Eucharistic adoration last night with our sophomores and I was actually praying next to our principal and I felt really compelled to pray over him and to invite the Holy Spirit in some profound ways. And afterwards, later in the night, he came to me and he said, I don't know what was going on, but I could really hear God's voice when you were praying over me. And he had a message for you. <laughs> I said, what? He's, yeah, you're taking all the good stuff, right? You're over there praying over me, but he's telling me I need to share something with you. And I, I was just really moved at that moment that here I am with a, a colleague and um, someone I, I do pray with, right? We do that together in a Catholic school. Uh, but the way that God was using this relationship for both of us to hear his voice. If we had not had a relationship where we prayed together, neither one of us would have been comfortable sharing what was going on. 
Father, um, we have we have a, a catechesis of the Good Shepherd that's attached to our kids' elementary school, and our two youngest, I guess our three youngest, got to go through that and, and had extraordinary experience with that. But now our grandkids are going through that. And they recently, um, Eleanor got to go into the sanctuary at church. And the spirit of quiet in that, the spirit of reflect the spirit of uh, engagement. I think uh, the whole church can learn so much from what the catechesis of the Good Shepherd offers in this um, God being particular, an individual to us, and also communal, but that God has time for us. I think that's a, a great experience of Lent, that God, God relishes in that one-on-one time. Her reflection on the credence table and the tabernacle and move, moving to these holiness in there was uh, it was just super inspiring to me. And the fact that sometimes we think our Catholic faith is so complicated and sophisticated that we can't teach it till people are in high school or college, but the, the kids get it from the inside out. Yeah. She's four years old. And the things she was saying were profound because I think she, she was free to really experience it. I think as you were sharing this, I was <clears throat> reflecting on how much our kids may think that we do these things for the church rather than really seeing God as a personal part of what we do as we go through the seasons or as we do different things. And it sounds to me like what your granddaughter was experiencing was an understanding of her relationship with God through the church, as opposed to just doing it for the church or as a church. Do we sometimes forget who the audience is. I'm an actor. God's the audience. It's not that we do it for the people. It's for God. Deborah, at St. James, you were talking about Adore 24 and God Week. Is that always a part of Lent? Generally, yes. Generally, yeah. What are some other things that you have found that are really meaningful and helpful in introducing the students to their life in Christ during Lent? What are some other opportunities that you give them? Simple things like we don't offer meat in our cafeteria on Fridays. And boy, that first week or two, that is like frustrating. (laughs) Where are the chicken nuggets? Right. This year we've started, we don't have meat in our cafeteria at all on Fridays. So that won't be as noticeable you'll notice some things in our daily mass, right? Purple is around and the alleluia is gone. Things like that, that you'll notice tripped away and a door for 24 and then stations of the cross. That Mm -hmm. is something we focus on during Lent as well. We have these beautiful bronze stations in our chapel. They're just phenomenal to really engage with as a piece of art, but also as a, um, a means for prayer to really, really pay attention to one of those. What was it like for Christ to go through that, the scourging or um, when he met the women? And what what was it like for each one of those um, people in that moment? And then what does that mean for you? And where are you in this story? There's a lot of times something that our English department will do with their classes um, to come down and pick one of those and and focus on. And then I think what typically happens in a culture uh, that is Catholic is the kids say, here's what I'm doing for Lent. 
who wants to do Exodus 90 with me? You know, we've got a growing group of young men who are participating in that. And it's real grassroots. The boys are doing it and inviting other people to do it. Right now, the kids are praying a particular rosary on Wednesdays for life with some political things that legislation that's going to be happening in the state of Kansas coming up. And they wanted to add another one of those days during Lent just to be more proactive. And then I think it's just the conversation around the the lunch table. People ask each other, what are you doing for Lent? What are you doing for Lent? They're asking your t- their teachers, what are they doing for Lent? And that seems to really ground us in having to think about and be prepared for the why about what we're doing. You know, Father, um, you do faith formation with faculties. And one of our good friends, Sebastian D'Amico, who works with Schools of Faith and at St. James, he put something on my heart as a teacher. I get to teach up at Benedictine College as an adjunct there. But he said that Catholic education, Catholic worldview, examination should be a blessing. It should be a blessing to the student. No, not examinations, assessments. Assessments. Thank you. Thank you. Assessments should be that. And, and I, I'm just praying about that so much because I think we as teachers have this opportunity to show our kids uh, mercy and goodness in the way that we just teach and in the compression that we have. You know, I would challenge teachers during Lent to maybe give less homework and more reflective time. And to have more substantial questions to really say, to sync with the souls of kids. I had a crazy experience this week was my birthday. And I had some kids that wrote me that were in my class almost 30 years ago. And they were telling me what the experience of our classroom has meant to them in their life. And it was really about them being able to feel heard and seen and connected with. In the recent synod on young adults, uh, one of the big findings that came out of that was that young people seek uh, mentorship and accompaniment. And our teachers are with them more than anybody else in their life and in a repetitious way. And for them to be seen and heard, I think that would be a profound thing not to add something, but to take away a couple of things or figure out how your evaluation or how your Running your class is a blessing, especially during Lent, to maybe slow things down and and dive into their hearts. I think that's a powerful thing to think about, is to actually take Lent into the classroom like that. I'm going to take away that phrase, and I'll probably steal it from you, Deacon, where you said to sink with the souls of kids. I think that is a powerful way to look at it, that this is an opportunity for us to use the classroom experience as a part of our Lenten I want to say adventure rather than endurance, but a Lenten adventure where we're beginning to connect with the Lord, maybe in ways that are unique and and special for who we are as people. What about penance services? Deborah, do you do penance services there at St. James? You know, we don't particularly. We have confession regularly throughout our day. And then on retreat, uh, we have particular penance services so that Every kid has the opportunity to go when they're away. But what our chaplain does is just adds days um, to offering that. So there's a line and there's a, I guess, a culture for going and encouraging one another for penance services. So that's something we try to do year round, uh, not necessarily just during Lent. Mm -hmm. 
I wondered about that. I know at, at St. Michael, we have basically tried to do kind of a modified penance service. It's done by community and right. they have an opportunity for some reflection and then have an opportunity to go to confession if they'd like to. I'm sure Deacon Dana, as members of the clergy, that's one of the things that is something I really see as a great opportunity for our students that maybe they don't get from their families if they're not actively going to confession in their parish homes. What's your thinking about that as a fellow clergy, as far as encouraging our students in confession? I think it's wonderful you have it at St. James so often. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that schools, we get forced into this idea of triage and a field hospital, which Francis likes, where families are really called to do this. And I think as an administration of a school, it would be great, you know, as you approach Lent to say, as a family, we encourage you to do this. And that, you know, this, the most meaningful thing, we brought in a guy a couple of years ago named Dr. Chap Clark, and he's done extensive research in young people. And what he says is, Kids don't do what their parents tell them because uh, there's too many things that they're told to do, but they do what their parents do, that they follow by imitation and modeling. And so I think as a school for uh, in the proper uh, righteous order to say, this is really your, your role, please do it. And then, and then for the school to have a safety net and offer, offer those things too. But for me to go with my sons to reconciliation, I think it's incredibly powerful for my family to go to that. It says, this is not something we talk about. This is not something that we aspire to. It's something that we do. It's part of our regular rhythm. And, you know, with so much of sports culture and music culture and those things that we do all the time by example, I think kids are learning that, but these things that'll save their souls that are part of their salvation and sanctification, we as a family, we're really called and, and maybe the school could try to emphasize that also. That is really great. I was just thinking about an emphasis to really engage the families in just going to confession together, doing things together. I know that one of the things that Kyle Pietratonio likes to talk about is that we have an opportunity as a school to rechurch the church. We can reach back into families and maybe help them to engage in activities. And so I'm just thinking that's a really great way to make an emphasis during Lent is to reach back into the family and encourage them in terms of practices. One of the things we're trying to do, I think as schools always, we're looking at how do we better serve our families? And we know that families are the first educators. So we're working on something now that we call essential questions. We have attach a question to every grade level that is consistent with what they're learning in religion class, what their retreat theme is. Um, and then we ask the teachers of the other fields of study to engage kids in a dialogue, like what does math have to do with this question? Yeah, our freshman year, what is God's story and how do I fit in it? We're asking this question, but we've sent it home to the families to say, this is something you could talk about at your dinner table. And it's not something anyone has an answer to. It's, it's more of a, a lived experience, a sharing of things that come to heart and mind when I think about where do I fit in God's story? And maybe it creates more questions. Right at the end of Lent, we will begin conversations with the parents. So we'll invite 
um, the student to lead a conversation with their parents and their mentor teacher around this question for that school year. And we asked the student, can you incorporate something from your retreat, your religion class, and maybe three other, your service that you did this year, and maybe your basketball team that really influenced or helped you find an answer to one of these essential questions. But to come in and lead a, a conversation with a teacher and your mom and dad is pretty, it's scary for everybody. Scary, you know, the mom who is thinking, oh, my 16-year-old son, I hope, I hope we've done a good job and it doesn't come across that we have it. And the, the teacher who's maybe a little intimidated by parents and, and the, the sweet kiddo who's having to lead a discussion with adults. I think it's these simple things that we can use. Again, the liturgical calendar, the almsgiving and the prayer can be incorporated into these conversations that hopefully become normalized and things that we talk about in our cars and at our dinner table. So, and in the area of almsgiving, as far as a Lenten emphasis, there's so many things that you can do with schools as far as service projects and things like that, aren't there? Oh, unending. And the kids have great ideas. Our kids have phenomenal ideas. They see where there's a need. And I think when we ask them, you know, what do you see is missing? And what is it that we can do to fill? I mean, I, I'm just awed regularly by the things that our young people notice and the compassion that they have and the creative ideas on how they can use their gifts. Even if it's a little bit of money or a lot of time, they come up with amazing things to do. Father, I have a box that came from my great grandmother and it has a war ration stamps in it. And I keep it and I open it and look at it every once in a while and rubber and, um, and, and various products that people use regularly during World War II, uh, people would have to forego those so that the troops would have those on certain days and you'd get these rations of that. And I just believe that that's something that our kids during this COVID time may have experienced more than, than I ever did or many generations that they've had to give up for the common good. And I think as we do this giving and this almsgiving, I just pray that we tie it back to the common good and a better understanding of what that means. And, and it means relationship and solidarity and subsidiarity that we're not doing this out of a kind of a blind secular charity. As in the maths, it says that we pray that God will gather his children that are scattered throughout the world. And if our almsgiving would be tied to that gathering of his children that are scattered and not distant cousins, but brothers and sisters and people that for some reason or whatever are afflicted in a way that we're not at that particular point, we can give our strength to our family. That's what the world's dying for. I think they'll pour into our churches if they believe that we're not judgmental and that we're not there to scrutinize them, but we're there for support and for brotherhood and sisterhood. I remember reading, and I can't remember which book it was in, but reading where one of the things that, that can really set us apart is if we help the poor because we love the poor, not because we hate poverty, that we help people in need, not because we hate the need that they have, but we love the people that are in need. That's one of the things that really sets us apart in terms of the motivation behind what we do. 
Yeah, and those service projects, and especially I think when people go on uh, mission trips, uh, especially to third world places or places of great poverty, they realize the incredible wealth that's there and the way that people see each other and don't objectify them. And I'm, I'm a big fan of capitalism. I'm a big fan of, you know, of drop on your boots and all of those kinds of things. But I think that there is a compassionate capitalism and there's a rational capitalism that's based in senior brothers and sisters as humans and as, as tender souls, you know, eternal souls and not as objects and not as a thing for use, but a thing to celebrate and to adore and Christ before us. I was just thinking we could keep going. And I know, Deborah, you've got commitments there at uh, the retreat. And I'm sure uh, Deacon Dana, you've got things going on too, but we could just keep going forever and ever on this this subject. I want to thank you so much for being with me today for Follow to Lead and to talk about this. And Deborah, as we are in the early days of Lent, is there anything that you would like to say to teachers and others in Catholic schools as far as an encouragement to engage the students uh, during this time? Sure. Dana has mentioned this word tender or tenderness a number of times. And I, when I think about Pope Francis talked about a, a revolution of tenderness uh, that is time for the church to, to create or enter into. And I, when I think of a, an image for that, this revolution of tenderness began with the beaten and cut and bruised and bloody body of our Lord on the cross. And that moment is so particularly difficult uh, to handle to look at, uh, to see that one we love treated that way because of us. And, and sometimes shame and guilt and ugly can enter there. And we don't know how to turn that over to God. We don't know how to receive grace and understanding. And so I, I think for all of us, just to be reminded of this revolution of tenderness that God wants to pour his tender, tender love and grace and peace and joy on every one of us. And he uses every one of us to pass that on. And as adults in the lives of young people, if we can maybe make a point of speaking more tenderly this Lent with one another, and to speak more tenderly with ourselves in some self-compassion, I think God can reign all over that. So yeah, not necessarily something to do, but maybe just to be more aware of in our own selves and our own tone of voice and our own gentleness and tenderness with one another. Thank you so much. That's just really good stuff for us to think about as we enter into this season. I was just watching a catechetical institute teachings on the charisma, And one of the things that Dr. Bergwald said in that is that we have to really focus more of our time on the good news rather than the good advice. Mm -hmm. And the good advice is what we do, but the good news is who it's for and what he has done for us and how we can relate to him. For this season to really make Lent not what we do, but who we become in the process. Well, yes. Deacon Dana, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today on Follow to Lead. This has been really rich. Anyway, thank you so much. And I hope that we can uh, have you back again for some other 
good discussion in the future. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much, Father. And for our audience, if you haven't done this already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to leave a comment to encourage us in future programming. And we also want to thank our intern, Alex Shire, who is assisting in the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.